0: Phil Moran, pastor at Christ Presbyterian Church, and Jonathan Van Hugan, pastor at Spring United Reformed Church. Now, if you'd like to find out more about us or catch past broadcasts or get information about our annual conference, you can find us at ReformationVoice.com. Welcome to the Gospel for Life. In the studio this morning is myself, Pastor Russ Herman from Cloverdale United Reformed Church, Vinnie Henke from Valley Life, Ben Rao from The Well, and Ryan Hempel from Treasure Valley Reformed Presbyterian Church. Gentlemen, it is always good to be in the studio with each of you. It's good to be here with you too, Ryan. Thanks yeah, for Russ. having us. I think that this is the first time that this foursome has been in the studio together. Is that, I mean, we recorded yesterday, but I'm saying... Right. Yeah, yeah. that's correct. As a group. Okay, yeah. so... Good? good or bad. You, the listener, are on this journey with us. <laughs> That's right. We have been talking the about the state of theology, a, a ligonair survey that comes out every two years. And quite honestly, it can be a little bit um depressing. It's, it's depressing, um, but it's enlightening. Um, it does give us a sense of where the broad church and the American people are with regard to the religious beliefs and convictions. Um we were talking off air. One of the questions is that hell is a real place where certain people will be punished forever. And it's interesting that the number of people that believe in hell as a certain uh, as a place where people will be punished forever, the percentage of people that agree with that in general is going up. Mm-hmm. So from 2018 to 2020 to 2022, in each of the years, that percent went up that more and more people believe that hell is a real place that certain people will end up. And <laughs> that might be the key. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> we I'll let Vinny tell his insight on this, but I think it I think it might be true. Yeah. I think the key to the question is
1: that certain people will spend time in hell and those who for sure disagree with me. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs>
0: the unnamed other they. Yeah. Certainly not for me. But we're using that as a launch pad for this question, that even the smallest sin deserves eternal damnation. And it's interesting that the number of people that agree with that is not that significantly high. So a lot of people think that hell is a real place, but there are only certain things that get you there. Mm-hmm. And small sins are not one of those things that get them there. So how should have this ants been answered according to the Bible and why? Will the smallest sin deserve eternal damnation?
2: Yes. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I think uh one of the things that, that I think in, in God's wisdom, you know, as we read in Genesis of the fall, and you know, it wasn't you know, adultery that you know plunged Uh, mankind into sin it wasn't uh it wasn't murder it wasn't uh abusive speech or patterns of behavior it all these things that we would put up as oh yeah those are those are big sins those those people are definitely going to hell in the end of the day adam and eve ate a bite a a bite of fruit that in our eyes is a very small light thing i mean how many times you know our kids around the table and they're growing up? It's like you need to eat your dinner. You know, take a bite of chicken. I don't want to. You know, take a bite of broccoli, whatever it is. And uh, you know, we we see that every day in our household. And yet, what it shows is even the smallest sin at its very core is rebellion against God. And that is the ugliness of sin. Is it's a rejection of who He is. It's a rejection of His rightful place. And it's a rejection of Him.
0: Are there even such things as little sins in in the light of who God is?
1: No, I think um, Romans six twenty three for the wages of sin, big broad category, is death. So even the the smallest, like we mentioned, the, the bite of fruit to the the largest, all equate the the same penalty. That is. Uh, spiritual and eventually physical death and Mm -hmm. ultimately eternity in hell in terms of our experience now if we flip it and we said how do we understand sin yeah we might say there's a severity in terms of consequence or effect on others but when we we frame it within the context of a holy God then yeah all sin stands before uh, God equal in terms of its penalty of death Mm
0: -hmm. James talks about this idea that if we break the law in even one part we're guilty of breaking the entire law Why is that the case? Why is it that if we just break the law in one spot, we've actually broken it all?
2: Well, one of the things that God uh, teaches us through the minutia of detail throughout the Old Testament system and the sacrifices that are laid out, he requires absolute perfection in, in order to be in his presence. And you know, we might think of that as like, well, that's kind of an unreasonable standard, but when you think about who God is, he is perfect. I mean, he is holy. I mean, he, it's, it's who he is. And in order to be in his presence, we have to be like him and that's his requirement. And the smallest sin is, you know, a taint in that, you know, you, you could have like a, a beautiful, you know, oftentimes, you know, a beautiful painting that's like on display and it's absolutely gorgeous and beautiful in all its detail. But then if there's more like one little rip on the end of it or in the corner, or I mean, it's, it completely distorts the whole thing Hmm. and it completely ruins everything. And so sin, no matter how small it just completely ruins uh, any chance we have of being with God and in his presence. I think also
3: we can see it as the, the law is, is a perfect reflection of God's character. Mm -hmm. God himself is, is, is a unity that, that he's not divided up into parts. And so to break one, one of his laws is that makes you guilty of, of, of the the whole thing because in the, in the same way as God himself is a unity, the, the law of God is a unity. Um, and so you, you can't just break a little bit of it without fracturing the whole. Mm-hmm.
0: The Puritans would write that in Adam and Eve's initial sin, they were actually breaking all of the law. Mm. And they would go through and talk about how that act was breaking each of the Ten Commandments, at least in some way. I often think of it as, bless my wife's heart, she has her hands full. She tries so hard to help me grow and learn and develop. <laughs> and, and one of the things she says, uh, oftentimes I'll have a, a thread of a shirt or a sweater and, I have a tendency to to pull on that thread that's sticking out and she has tried to teach me over and over again don't don't pull on the thread um you start pulling on that thread bad things are going to happen you it's just going to get worse you're not going to actually help the situation you're going to make it worse mm. and sin is like that we think we see it as one thread mm. but it's all connected and it, it's really just an unraveling of this whole array of sin underneath—that's <laughs> um, all about, as as Ryan was saying earlier—it's all about rebellion against God. It's not a small act; it's actually R.C. Sproul would say that it's cosmic treason. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, we're defying, we're defying God. In every sin, every sin is the defiance of God, and we don't see it that way. We see a. Um, uh, what R.C. Sproul used to talk about, like a peccadillo. Um, (laughs) But there there are no small sins because every sin is an affront to the very character of the holiness of God. Mm. So then another question is that God counts a person as righteous not because of one's works but because of one's faith in Jesus Christ. So if one sin gets us into hell, how are we going to get into heaven? And what's what? How would that be answered according to God's word? And you
2: know, um, one of the things that Jesus taught his disciples was that you know the if you didn't have righteousness that was greater than that of the Pharisees, you would never enter the kingdom of God. And that was a profound statement in his day because outwardly, the Pharisees were, I mean that's who you would point to and say, be like them. You know, they were outwardly righteous men. And, uh, but yet they prove time and again, as Jesus calls them, they were whitewashed tombs, beautiful on the outside, but full of dead men's bones. And so the question that naturally comes in, well, if here's this group that are righteous by our standards and outwardly righteous, following God's commands as best as they can. And as we can see, if we have to have a righteousness better than them, Then, how can we? And the answer to that is we need the righteousness of Christ. His is the only righteousness that exceeds any human, mere human righteousness. And that is only by God's grace through faith in Him.
0: The other way to maybe ask this question is what gets us into hell and what gets us into heaven? So, what gets us into hell is our Our sin. sin. Okay, and what gets us into heaven? Christ's righteousness. Christ's righteousness. I think there's confusion on that. Hmm. I think there are people that think that our sin gets us into hell and. And our,
2: our righteousness earns our way. Yeah.
0: Or our lack of sin gets us into heaven. Hmm. That as long as we. We didn't
2: sin as much as.
0: Or that Jesus died for our sins on the cross, therefore I get into heaven. No, what does the Bible say? that without holiness, no one will see God. It's not a lack of sin. Mm -hmm. We need righteousness, and we can't get it on our own. Right. And so there's this, I think sometimes people only have one half of justification, that justification is just as if I've never sinned. Well, that's true, but justification also is that I have the perfect righteousness of Jesus Christ as if I've perfectly obeyed the law. Um, yeah. R.C. Sproul used to say, the cross gets me out of hell. The perfect righteousness of Christ gets me into heaven. Mm. Yeah, this is that like, I need both. Yeah, this is Paul's language of putting off the old man
1: and putting on the new one, right? Mm-hmm. Putting on the new righteousness of Christ, being stripped of our old life and wearing the new robes or the new righteousness of Christ. Yeah.
3: Mm-hmm. Forgiveness gets us a, a blank sheet of paper, but there's there's nothing positive on there that, that earns our place in heaven, Christ's righteousness imputed to us gives us all the credentials we need to, to enter heaven.
2: And then they used the the key word, you know, the imputation. You know, we call the double imputation, where in Second Corinthians five twenty one, for He made Him who knew no sin to be sin for us, that we might become the righteousness of God in Him. Hmm. So as Christ was on the cross bearing our sins. God the Father looked upon him and saw him as one who broke the covenant and punished him accordingly for our breaking of it. And by his grace through faith in him, God looks at us as one who kept the covenant. He's given us Christ's righteousness. And that's how we can enter glory.
0: Hopefully what you're hearing today is that yes, it is our sin that that earns us hell, but Thanks be to God that through the work of Jesus Christ, he has taken upon himself our, the, our sin and the punishment of our sin, and in addition to that, freely has given to us the perfect righteousness, obedience that he earned in our place so that we don't have to be those that are eternally damned, but instead can spend eternity in the presence of a holy God. You've been listening Amen. to The Gospel for Life. We will see you tomorrow.